Hi, this is Jason Faisal, lead pastor at Casper Alliance Church. We're so grateful that you stopped by our weekly teaching podcast. This is week 10 of our Purpose series. We're continuing looking at all the different spiritual gifts. This is our third week looking at power gifts. We hope that you enjoy this morning's teaching. We had a great time. In fact, uh, with all the things that are happening in our country, this might have been the last time we gathered as a community uh, together for a few weeks. So we hope you enjoy the service. Have a great day. Many of us have served in churches our lifetime. We grew up in churches, and a lot. I mean, as we see kids in our church, we, these are kids that have grown up in church. By the time they get to 30, 35 years old, if they've had poor experiences or been serving even outside of their gift, they get, a t- get tired or frustrated or even disenfranchised with the church. And I think that's a lot of the reason why we see a generation just missing from church, because they've been abused or hurt. And it's because they haven't found a reason why, other than their faith in Christ, of how to serve and be a part of a church family. And as you begin to unlock the the spiritual gifts, and you understand that God's given each one of us who follow and love him a gift for the betterment of the community, for the good of the church, it gives you purpose within the church family. And when you have purpose in this church family, you are motivated to be there. You're excited to be there. You understand why you're there. Has anybody ever been to a family reunion and you're sitting around looking at everybody and you're like, I don't know these people, I don't care about these people, and the food's not great. And you like want to get out of there as soon as possible. That, is, that experience is, is typical in the family reunion. But then there's a moment in your family reunions, if you've been to family reunions, where you run into someone who has a connection to you through an aunt, uncle's, cousin's, sister's, pet, dog, brother's, whatever, And they tell you a story about Grandma Betty. And Grandma Betty was this person that they knew when she was 12 years old, and this is how she lived her life. And all of a sudden, you feel this instant connection to the family. And you didn't know that person 10 minutes ago. You're related somehow, but you didn't know that person, but you now find purpose in being there. Church operates like that so many times. And when we can find purpose for why we exist within the community other than the advancement of God's kingdom, It gives us joy when we step into the building, when we're cleaning the toilets, when we're making the bulletins, when we're serving a meal, when we're passing out toilet paper to our neighbors, when we're rearranging the room, it gives purpose. So, let's talk about coronavirus. I'm going to have some scripture up on the screen. I have them all over the place in scripture. I want to remind you, scripture teaches us that creation is groaning. Creation is groaning because we're in bondage. Suffering, disease, anxiety, unhappiness. Sin is pervasive on this planet. And not only do we feel the suffering and the pain and the hurt and the sorrow and the, and the fear and the anxiety, but creation itself, we're taught in Romans, is, is groaning in anticipation of restoration, redemption from the king. It's been a relational breakdown from the beginning since Adam and Eve made their choice and ushered sin into this world. We have, as a, as a community, as a world, lived in a state of suffering. This brokenness has many little tributaries, creeks that run together, that funnel in to a massive river that sometimes feel overwhelming and floods and breaks. 
and we feel the pressure and the, and the hurt and all of that suffering comes upon us. Now, I want to remind you of some stuff here before we get into the, to the deep part of spiritual gifts. 1 Peter 5.8. If you have your scriptures, I'm going to bounce all over. I'm going to tell you what's going to be up on the screen. 1 Peter 5.8 says this. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. I think if we could be honest about it with ourselves and, and, and acknowledge that Satan's at work and trying to, trying to take us down, but we're also at work as well. And I'm, gonna, I'm gonna just going to be a, a jerk to my church for a second. Sorry. And I, I called him out maybe, and I walked through the circle. But there was a circle of people out here talking. You know who you were, talking about coronavirus. Just sitting out here talking in a circle. And listen, friends, you know how much I care about you. And I'm judging you right now. Because I was, I was adding to the conversation. Not once did we talk about hope in there. Not once did we talk about how God can prevail in there. Not once did we say anything about the good that could come from this. Not once. We talked about the suffering, the hurt, the things that could happen, all the pain, all the sorrow, all the, all the sin, all the garbage that comes of it. Even me, I'm, I'm caught up by it, but that's part of the world that we live in. Remember, the evil one is a lion trying to devour. Verse 9 says, or verse 8, 9, there we go, it says resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brother throughout the world. Our experience here in Wyoming, although it may be easy to be socially distancing from one another, we might be able to elbow a little bit easier. There's not as many people here, but the people are experiencing around the world the same things that we're feeling. How are we a message of hope into that? We cry out and say to God and yell to him, why don't you deal with this? Why don't you interrupt this chaos and fix it for us? Why do you allow this to happen? Why do you ruin our economy that's been built up for the last 10 years? Why are jobs going to be lost? Why are our bank accounts gone? Why is this happening? God, step in and fix it. And he says with great love, you desire choice. If God came to us and said, fine, I'll fix it, but I'm going to remove your ability to choose. Humanity would rise up together and scream back at God, No! How dare you take that right from us? God says, You have choice because you're made in my image. You have choice. And here's what's happened. We have made decision after decision since creation to go our own way, to choose our own way, to be sinful. And it's brought about darkness and suffering, anxiety, blame, sorrow. So we get to the point where we begin to ask the question, so is there hope? Yes. Yes, there's hope. There is absolute hope. God has intervened. Jesus came. He destroyed sin. He destroyed Satan. He went to death on a cross. He was raised again. He has overcome and has victory over pain, sorrow, suffering. And our choice and our chaos is being reversed day by day, redeemed day by day. Isaiah 53, you're going to know this. Turn with me if you want. Isaiah 53 says this. 
He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Jesus knew, as a prophecy of, of our coming Savior, as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Verse 4 says, surely he, was, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Verse 5 is the power verse, but we, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was crushed for our choice. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And here we go. And with his wounds, we are healed. Each time someone meets God personally and encounters the living Christ and puts faith in Jesus and says, I trust in you. Will you remove my sin and my shame and my sorrow and my suffering? Will you come into my life and make me Make me clean. Will you be the Lord of my life? I trust in you as Savior. That person experiences, experiences this, a healing. That place happens every day. And as a church, remember, and I'm going to stop right now, I'm going to pray it again. As a church, we've been praying that that would happen in this community every single Sunday. Every Sunday that that would happen in one of our churches. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we cry out to you right now. We say and ask that by the proclamation of your word, by the gathering of your saints, by, by somebody watching on a screen, that they would hear the good news of your son Jesus and acknowledge him as Lord and Savior and say yes and amen. I want to follow you. I trust in you. I will put my faith in you. And they would encounter ultimate healing today by putting faith in you. Lord, we pray that that would happen to someone here in Casper this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. We know that if we are followers of Christ, the promise is given to us that Christ one day will heal not only our hearts, our souls for eternity, but also redeem this creation. Take away sickness. Take away coronavirus. This is... Uh, an exciting thing to proclaim as hope. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives us a great picture of what this is going to look like. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 42 says this. So with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown is perishable. What is raised is what? Imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in the natural body. It is raised in the spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit, Jesus, the last Adam. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, then the spiritual. First man was from earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven, Jesus Christ. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born in the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. We are image bearers if you know and love and have made Jesus the Lord of your life. All of us who follow Jesus, know Jesus, one day we'll experience this in Revelation 21.4, which says this. 
we will, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Either shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. What great hope and promise that is. So when we stand in circles and we search the internet and we read every Fox News story, we can say this, he will someday wipe away every tear. He will make death life. He will make dead men live. And everything will be redeemed because that's the work of Christ. That is why we have hope. There will be no more AIDS, cancer, coronavirus. There will be no more funerals. We will live in glory with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as we stand in circles and talk and stress and feel the suffering of this world, the pain of this world, the pressure of this world, we live as people with hope. That's the truth of those who follow Christ. And I want us to live as people who give away toilet paper. Because this is the currency of our day. Because hope lies in toilet paper for some reason. Which, I, listen, if people... <laughs> there's going to be some mom who goes into their basement and goes, why do we have 4,000 rolls of toilet paper? And the husband's going to go, remember coronavirus? <laughs> is this a serious time? Absolutely. But we are people of hope. As we wait for this, do we get set free in the here and now? Our suffering will become a place where joy is grown the most. In the church, this is where suffering can be turned to joy. The people around us will say, how do you have joy? How do you have hope in these times? And guess what we get the opportunity to do? We get the opportunity to point to Jesus and say, because of Jesus, I have hope for today. The purpose in our lives as followers of Christ will to produce unnatural joy and an unnatural hope. As followers of Christ, we produce unnatural joy and unnatural hope. The problem is we often live, and this we're going to get into our spiritual gifts. My, I told you my watch doesn't work, Jordan. I'm going to be a mess today. The problem is we live like Christian atheists. I'm going to say it again. We live like Christian atheists. We believe Jesus rose from the dead. We do our devotions. We come to church and we sing. But we never expect him to show up. And we're, we don't even think it's going to happen anymore. We expect nothing. We, we see nothing. And when God does show up among us, we say, eh, I don't know if I believe that. You think right, but you expect nothing. That's why the power gifts become a really important part of the Christian community. Because God is demonstrating himself through these gifts. Scripture teaches us what this looks like. The phrase that I've read multiple times is this is what Scripture teaches us about the power gifts. Healing, miraculous signs, wisdom, knowledge. It's not never. It's not always. It's sometimes. All the gifts we're going to talk about here quickly in this morning um, have one thing in common, and that's really important, about permission. Situational permission. This is how I want us to understand these gifts that make us uncomfortable sometimes. It's about permission. This is a verse we've looked at a couple times, John 5, 19. This is the thing that I've always been freaked out by. It says this, so Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. 
For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Jesus shows us how these power gifts through Scripture take place, how they happen, how they are executed. The pattern of permission in Jesus' life is so evident in his ministry. Jesus operated like this. He would go, he would pray, he would listen. He would line up his will with the Father, and then he would go act. He prayed before the deeds happened, not during the act. Let's look at a story in Scripture, the story of Lazarus. Turn with me, or John 11. We're going to start at verse 30. We're going to be in here for just a minute. This is the story of Lazarus. You know the end game, right? What happens? Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. But let's watch the progress. Let's see what happens as he goes. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in a place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where, you have laid him, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he have opened the eyes of the blind man, also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid against it. Now, in this story, they're challenging a little bit. They're saying, couldn't he have, like, been here and, and fixed this before this actually happened? Couldn't have this been dealt with? I mean, he's made blind men see. What is going on here? Why would he have not, why would he wait is the real question. Why did he wait? What's the reason for waiting? You could have fixed this. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for, for days, for He's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Now listen, when did this situation happen? I thank you that he had heard me, that, Father, you've heard me. He's already prayed about this. Jesus knows the outcome. He knows what's going to happen. He hasn't acted yet. He's acknowledging that God has already empowered him to do the act that's about to happen. Remember John 5? I only do what the Father tells me to do. And this is where John, he's going, Father, thank you for hearing me. Thank you for the prayer time that I had. Thank you for encountering me and aligning our will. And then what happens next? I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on, on the account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you have sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died. Now stop for a second. You see the connection. The reason Lazarus was raised from the dead was not to make people comfortable, but to say what? Who sent me? This was about the glory of God. This is about demonstrating and showing the power and presence and reality of God. This was a gift. God, he was accessing something that God was putting in him, empowering him so that he could show who God was. Not for Jesus' purposes, but for God's purposes. And that's what these gifts are always about. It's not for us. It's not for ourselves. It's not for our own identification, our own glory, or so that we are esteemed. It's so that God's glory, God's power, God's reality is experienced by the people. 
The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound in linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. And everybody fainted. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary, had seen what he did, believed in him. So what's the result of the, the thing that happened? Belief. God is real. His reality is real. So the task here with spiritual gifts in general, especially the power gifts, is, for, is to get lined up with the Father's will. When you receive a yes from God, then the necessary power and authority for the specific task will be given. When you receive the yes from God, the power and authority is given. If he says no, don't claim anything. How many times have we had, and we're talking about healing really quickly in a little bit, but how many times have we had healing services where we're praying for healing in a way that where God's saying no, but we're continuing to do it. And we're making everybody in that circle uncomfortable because nothing's happening. Because God said no. Because scripture teaches us over and over and over again, it's not never, it's not always, it's sometimes. And there's a pattern in Christ's life as he ministered. He left and prayed, he listened, he lined up the will of the Father, and then he acted. We are to imitate Jesus and take the authority as he did. When Jesus said, those who believe in me will do the things I do, remember that passage? You'll do greater things than I do, and it all kind of freaks us out. We're like, what? That's not possible. This includes the way he did things, not just the act. So we need to pray, align, and then act. Many times we act, and then we say, God, will you bless our action? Take care of what we're doing here. We are aligning our will with his will. We are speaking on the Father's behalf when we execute power gifts. Speaking on his belief, we speak in his authority to correct the situation. His will, his glory, his timing. His sovereignty and our willingness to listen matters with these gifts. If God says yes, we must act. If he says no, then we must ask God to take our brokenness, to take our frustration, to take our annoyance, to take our lack of things happening and our suffering and allow it to bring glory to him and produce in us, what I said earlier, an unnatural joy, an unnatural hope. Or do we have the ability to pray for people's healing and still be joyful if it, God's not acting? And that's what needs to happen in, in the life of the believer. He needs to take that suffering, that brokenness, the thing that, that we're all twisted up about to why, God, why aren't you fixing this? And turn it into joy and turn it into hope so we can pass it as a currency to people. Because even though this situation is not fixed the way that we would like it, God is still on the throne working and doing his thing, redeeming creation. And in our lifetime, and I've talked about this in my own, own personal life, some churches say they don't want to deal with it, and it's easier that way. And other churches set us up for failure and say this phrase, you just don't have enough faith. That's a hot mess too. The scripture says that God's sovereignty is at the heart of all of these gifts, starting with giving or administration down to healing works of power. The scripture says sovereignty, God's sovereignty is at the heart of all these gifts. We've talked about this a bunch. Our character has to be at the heart of all these gifts. 
when it comes to healing, deliverance, and works of power, or words of knowledge, is all based on one thing, permission. Is God giving permission? Let's go to our text we've been looking at so much, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit of... Oh, I'm tongue-tied. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the what good? Say it together. Common good. For to one is given through the Spirit of the utterance of wisdom. That's what we're going to talk about a little bit. To the other, an utterance of knowledge. And sometimes they would call those two gifts, but we're going to link them today. But the, technically it's two different gifts. According to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. We talked about that last week. To another, the gifts of healing. We're going to talk about that in a second. By the one, by the one Spirit. And to another, the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another, various kinds of tongues, to another, the interpretation of tongues. So let's get into it. <laughs> You're like, what? Haven't you been into it? We're going to go over the gifts here. Words of wisdom or words of knowledge. I'm going to describe what it is. Situational communications are given by the Holy Spirit for a specific moment. We aren't talking about people who have a knowledge about the Bible or God. So this isn't a teaching thing. This isn't somebody who has the teaching gift. Sometimes words of knowledge can be attached to teaching, but this isn't a teaching gift. This is a very specific word that God gives for a very specific situation. We are talking about a word that comes directly from God to the person with the gift as wisdom or knowledge for that situation. And I want to repeat this, and we talked about it with prophecy, and it has... Words of knowledge and words of wisdom have the same rules as prophecy. It's lesser than Scripture. It's subordinate to Scripture. It's underneath the Word of God. Even though it's a word from God, it's subordinate to this. You tracking with me? With prophecy, we talked about two weeks ago, prophecy is a corporate experience many times. It's for the group. Words of knowledge, words of knowledge is an individual type of thing, or a small group environment. Words of knowledge rarely come up over history and time in this environment in a corporate worship gathering. It's usually in a counseling session or in a, a place where you're doing discipleship or where God gives you a, a, a thing to say to give a corrective behavior. Words of knowledge, words of wisdom is a communal gift. It's a relational gift. It's for the one. God gives a very direct word about an issue that needs to be dealt with in your life, or a word of encouragement or a supernatural telling of what you are to do at the moment, at a particular moment, to follow God's will. It's situational. Situational. It's a prompting-based gift, and it's truly a power gift. When this happens, you will know that God is speaking. It's not another lecture, or a lesson, or a Bible study, or a small group study. The word of knowledge uh, gift refers to the capacity or the sensitivity of a person supernaturally perceiving a revealed knowledge or wisdom from God which otherwise would not be known or being able to be applied to a situation. So it's like this thing that you never should know that you somehow know about somebody. This is when God gives someone a word for you that there is no way that they would know what is going on in your life. Has anybody experienced that before? I have. It's awful. It's a horrible moment. I told a story about Canada, didn't I? That one time in Montreal where these, these alliance couple came up to me and said I was being disobedient to the Lord for not using my spiritual gift. And I was. I was struggling with this thing that God has, has done in my life, and, and I was being resistant. And they, 
uh, they, they individually pulled me aside and said, God called you to do this. God has given you this gift, and you're being disobedient by not doing it. This happened a month ago, here in the, well, maybe two months ago, in this building with a pastor who sat me down, not in our district, a church planning pastor who came to do a conference. You guys remember when we had that conference here? He pulled me aside. He took me to another room, and he said, he gave me a bunch of words. I'm not going to tell you all of it. But it was things that he shouldn't know about me that he did. And it encouraged my soul, encouraged my heart, and it actually made me propel a little bit forward in what God's called me to do as a pastor. That happened in one of the rooms here. He, should, he shouldn't have known some of these things. Maybe he called Adrienne. So if you have this gift, you have a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit's promptings, which allows you to recognize certain thoughts or impressions aren't from you. They don't originate with you. They are from God. You have a recognition that the Holy Spirit wants you to do something and gives you the knowledge that could not have originated with you. So this isn't about you. This is about something God downloads into your brain. This knowledge helps release. Now here's the important part. This knowledge, the word of knowledge, helps release the activity of God in a situation. My story again, what, what happened with this pastor and when he spoke into my life and looked directly in my soul and called me out on a couple things and said a couple things about me that were inappropriate, that I was doing that were inappropriate, it completely revealed the activity of God that needed to happen in my life that encouraged me in a way to propel me to be a better pastor, to do things better than what I was doing. It showed the activity of God around me by his words. And I know that this is happening. You probably didn't even realize what was happening. But people speak directly to you from, as a voice of God. And it's, it has spurred you on in a way that you're like, wow, I'm so different now because of this moment. And you might have chalked it up to discipleship or chalked it up to somebody who loves you or cared about you. And I'm going to tell you that God gives people words so that they can influence and empower you to do his work. And it usually, I'm going to say always, prompts someone to the lordship of Jesus Christ hear that it pr always prompts someone to have lordship happen in their life so that they follow jesus and jesus only if you have this gift you have an awareness that god releases knowledge and information in a variety of ways you have the ability to be sensitive to the promptings of the holy spirit which allows you to recognize god speaking into a situation if you have this gift and say you say these phrases i really feel like the lord is giving this to you and you're called to do this it will actually be played out over time. You'll watch it happen over time. Your experience looks a little bit like this. You actually see the words written or like a ticker tape or like a newspaper article over somebody's head or in, on them. You can hear a voice of the Lord, an inner voice, God speaking. You can see sin that needs to be dealt with in people. You're experiencing pictures or visions of situations. In a healing situation, you might actually feel the pain or some of the symptoms of the condition that God wants to be healed. The idea is that the knowledge is, is there that helps release God's activity. Remember, it's releasing God's activity in the situation. It's so specific and to the point that it requires a response or action. It's, it's so specific. It, like, is laser-like. It cuts right to the bone. It's a little bit like prophecy. And it has the same rule. These words supernaturally release God's activity, and you say phrases like, man, God is here. Can you do this thing? Bring it on, Lord. 
what happens when we live as a church like this. This is not a safe place to go to church. It is not safe when these types of things are happening. But I say bring it on, Lord. Do this in us. Gift of healing. So this is healing of many kinds. Scripture, when they're talking about the gift of healing, the spiritual gift of healing that Paul is talking about uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, it's an illness, physical, emotional, spiritual. It it refers to the supernatural releasing of healing power for the curing of all sorts of illnesses. The gift of healing does not give you supernatural ability to cure. Hear that. It doesn't give you anything. You are just a channel for the Lord to release his power. You aren't special if you have this gift. Now, here in our denomination, we love healing, right? Christ is healer. It's part of our fourfold gospel. It's something we fully believe in. It's something we access. We believe that that healing happens today. Of course we do. So there is a humanitarian element, a social gospel element to healing, to where we're we're helping and and serving and and taking care of things. We're passing out toilet paper that that maybe is... uh, Two-ply, very soft, it's very healing to people's bums. That's not what we're talking about here. This is a releasing of God's power, which he gave authority through the message of Jesus, but through the message of Jesus to the messenger. And it's authenticated through God showing up. Healing is a showing of compassion of God for people. See, when I talked about suffering at the beginning, we will all be healed someday. Someday. Healing is a sign that God loves us. He's showing us compassion. These power gifts are always about God's merciful intervention into our lives. A deep, so if you have this gift, you have a deep desire to see God alleviate physical problems in people, and you're willing to be used by God, to do so. You have an unnatural draw to those who are sick. You have an unusual ability to sense God's power is present for healing. And that's key. You have the ability to trust God and believe that he wants to heal. And you have a willingness to take risks for God. If you have this, so this, uh, we've talked about how gifts manifest themselves in the church over the last 10 weeks, right? This, uh, I'm not making a joke here, but this has, healing has the contagion principle to it. You know what that is? Contagion principle is, is if you see it happen and you see it demonstrated, you are drawn to it and you want to have it happen too. It just, it spreads. And I think with the gift of healing, it's so true. People around you with this gift of healing are drawn into it because they see God's power demonstrated. It's one of the things that I think we all still kind of go, yes, that person was healed and there's no way to explain it. I'm going to put my hand on it and I'm drawn into it. And so, and so when healing happens, it's contagious. It brings people into the community to where they want to see God act and move. But it's not about the show. It's all about God actually healing people. To either bring that person, here's, in Scripture we see Jesus bringing people to him for the first time or to heal a follower of Christ. Some have talked about how um, with the, when they have this gift that they have a warmth in their hands or all over them. But it's not about the show. It's not about the performance. And here, this isn't new age or crazy. We see it in Scripture, how Jesus healed. Now let's look at one passage. All right, here we go. Luke 8, 43. This is a, you know the story. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all of her living on 
physicians, she could not be healed anymore. And she, I'm sorry, I misspoke here. She could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she had, was not hidden, she came trembling, falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. The power, Jesus said, the power left me. There was an experience that Jesus had where the power left him. Catch that. He experienced the releasing of God's activity. And you're like, well, he was God. No, no. He's accessing the power of God as man. And it left him to heal. When healing takes place for real, these people will talk about the power of God leaving them. This is, and there's been lots of testimonies and things written about it. This is exactly how Jesus talked about it. You can't take the supernatural out of God. And I don't hear, with healing, I don't ever want us as a church to buy into this phrase. You need more faith. It's garbage. Remember, this is about permission. All these power gifts are about permission. God unleashing his power in situation. And it's time for us to dig out of this garbage where we're burying these gifts, because I believe there's people in this room who have these gifts, these power gifts, and you need to get it out of the hole and start using it. Now, and we could talk more about healing, but we're going to go on. The works of power, this is like miracles. This is the third and last gift we're going to talk about this morning. The release of, God, release of God's power to demonstrate his uniqueness. So this release of miracles or God's power is, is all about, there's three things. Casting out demons, raising people from the dead, and commanding nature to do things that should not happen. The work of power is releasing of God's supernatural power so that the miraculous intervention of God is perceived, and God receives recognition for the supernatural inter intervention. We see this in Jesus. Think of all the different times. He calmed the storm. He did raise people from the dead. We've already talked about it this morning. These are acts of works of power. These are miracles. We see it in the first generations of Christians uh, in Scripture through Acts. It is found time and time again in church history, and it's still existing today. There are, we have a number of videos on the Alliance website showing works of power or miracles. And the reason that they still exist today is for this releasing of God's power to demonstrate that he's unique and above all other gods. These works of power are often brought bring people to Jesus for the first time. Like the story we see here, Be by your faith you're healed. Jesus is authenticated in signs and in wonders. We say that God has not, we say that God has got to be doing something when this happens. We go, this is nuts. God has to be here. When, when there's works of power, miracles, it's Jesus miraculously intervening in the follower's life for healing or sanctification. That's another one of our words that we like. Deeper in faith. Deeper. Not more, deeper. More consuming that more consuming john 3 30 less of me more of him let's look at one last text hebrews 2 hebrews 2 2 for the sense the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation 
It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by, here, by God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Such a powerful verse for us. God shown himself. This great salvation that we take a hold of, that we get to receive, that we get to put our faith in, is shown to us by signs and wonders and by the gifts distributed by the Holy Spirit. This is all about bringing people into the community of Christ. So the question is, do you have these gifts? You have this gift. If you have this gift, I'm going to go through the symptoms of it. God will put you in positions where you must see the power of God demonstrated to vindicate God's character. This is why it happens many times overseas in tribal culture, uh, in animistic cultures. You, you have works of power happening to vindicate the creator of the heavens and the earth, to show that God is on the throne, that, that the almighty God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is going to do this thing. If you have this gift, you have an ability to be uh, of sensitivity to discern what God is wanting to do in a situation, a willingness to risk your reputation and trust God in really unusual circumstances. Think Elijah, Mount Carmel. You have an ability to deal with demons directly when you pray and leave, uh, pray that they leave people or situations. Remember, works of power about dealing with demons, raising people from the dead, making nature do things that don't make any sense. When you pray, people are raised from the dead. Once again, the works of power are about validating God's presence among us. People with this gift work in releasing people from bondage. It's always about Jesus and his glory. Spiritual gifts, and this is next week we're going to do a capstone, but spiritual gifts, I'm going to reiterate this, um, are from the Holy Spirit. They're given by his, for his glory. His sovereignty is what distributes them to us. It's for our freedom, and the purpose of the spiritual gifts are that they build up the church so that Christ can be proclaimed to the nations. Remember, Paul's attacking some of these uh, gifts, tongues, because the pagan church, pagan people were experiencing them too. If you can go in your Rolodex in your mind and, and say you, you had words of knowledge, or you saw these things in your life prior to encountering Jesus, prior to putting your faith in Christ, they're not from the Lord. They're from the other side. And Satan does that to confuse people. You cannot do these things without having faith in Christ. These gifts are only given to those who love Christ. But Satan is active trying to confuse. The power gifts are all about permission. Just because you know and just because you're gifted does not mean that you own the power. It doesn't mean you're always called to do something immediately. Never forget, this is always about Jesus, his work, his will. It's never about your ego, your identity, your fame, your skill set. It's always about Jesus. It's about him bringing people to himself and your character matters. The greater your character grows, the more people will experience the presence and power of Christ. If your character isn't growing, I promise you'll be dismissed. You'll be relegated. You'll be sidelined, and you'll feel wounded. But your prayer needs to continue to be 
give me the fruit of the Spirit. Thanks again for stopping by the weekly teaching podcast at Casper Alliance Church. If you live in the Casper area, we'd love to see you on a Sunday morning. Our worship gathering starts at 11 a.m. We're at 2000 Casper Street. You can also check us out on the web at casperchurch.com or on Facebook or Instagram at Casper Alliance Church. If you'd love to partner with us in ministry, we have a Give tab on the front of our website uh, at casperchurch.com. That would be greatly appreciated. Thank you so much for listening, and we, we are so happy that you stopped by.